Welcome to Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. Let's get started. Welcome back to Your Pursuit of Happiness. In this special episode, we welcome back Pete Townsend of Norio Ventures to discuss the impact COVID-19 is having on fintech, blockchain and financial services market with Paul. In this hour-long special, we cover the opportunities and challenges for businesses operating and recruiting in this market, what Pete is seeing in areas like fundraising, transformational projects, and who will come out of this stronger than ever, while Paul gives an insight into the recruitment market and demand for coaching. Please don't forget to check out our complimentary 90-minute coaching session offering through possible.ie for any SMEs, leaders, or HR professionals who could do with support during the COVID-19 crisis. Go to www.possible.ie forward slash COVID and tell us how we can help. Pete Townsend, great to have you back on the show again. Awesome to be here, Paul. We thought thought it'd be a good idea given everything that's going on with uh, coronavirus, if you've heard of it. <laughs> to, yeah, I have a bit. <laughs> to, uh, to to get you on to have a bit of a chat through kind of what you're seeing, where you think the opportunities are, the challenges are, um, and give people a bit of advice around that. Uh, and similar on our side, uh, obviously, you know, recruitment has been majorly disrupted. Uh, coaching is a little bit different, but um, thought it was it was a good idea. You know, we're working in in similar spaces in terms of fintech, blockchain, financial services to to have a chat through and see where things are. Yep. Absolutely. Great. So, um, strange times. We're in the second week of uh, kind of a formal lockdown, I suppose. Uh, all happened very, very quickly. Myself and Laura and the guys ended up going home and working from home from March 9th. So, I think we're in our fourth week of working from home back at the kitchen table and took a decision early because uh, no point taking a risk when we can just pick up laptops and go and lucky i think to be in that position um but things have have moved very very quickly you know it's 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 new updates new restrictions nearly every day it seems Uh, but within all of this there has to be opportunities what are you seeing yeah there are i mean you know me personally at least i i set up for this five years ago i knew it was coming right (laughs) (laughs) my wife and i got the house remodeled back in 2015 got an extension built we took the playroom and that playroom became my office um, I didn't leave the corporate world until a year later, but I'm glad I did that. And then over time, I've just kind of adjusted over the last year, especially um, doing meetings in town, probably just two, maybe max three days a week, mm. uh, but trying to get as much work done as I could from my home office, which nicely has turned into a bit of a recording studio as well, because I've got this long fabric blind that pulls down over the window that acts as a sound absorber, mm. which is great. So I kind of feel like with all of this, if, you know, from even starting from that work from home opportunity, if you want to call it that, right, mm. that you need to have discipline to work from home, yep. right? Um, having kids in school is one thing, right? Having kids at home, well, are you in the right corner of the house? I was talking to Mike Brennan from Finch Capital last week, um, one of the, and he said that, listen, you know, having him... Uh, at home and his wife at home, both working, um, you know, they got to take turns trading at the kitchen table, right? Mm. And looking after the kids and, you know, managing their day that way and effectively extending their workday uh, so both of them can get through everything, which is hard. 
Um, luckily, my wife doesn't work, and you know um, what we she's looking after the kids. But it's nice to have the kids around the house um, as it is anyway. So you know that first opportunity of can you actually turn your work from home situation to, into some sense of normalcy mm. um, to get stuff done is you know, it, it's the first challenge um, it, as well as being an opportunity, yeah? Absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of businesses, particularly in the more traditional financial services space and uh, a lot of businesses that would have kind of front office operations here uh, have really struggled, I think, with the whole remote work idea over the past few years. And, and this has kind of forced people to do it because there's no choice, right? Um, so I think the opportunity is there on the employee side as well to prove that, uh, remote working and working from home it is a valid opportunity or it is a valid option, I suppose, when things do come back to, to some sort of normal. But you need to be able to kind of set up that workspace. You need to be able to, you know, get get through things as well. Um, and, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot actually is, uh, you know, there, there's there's kind of, there's two sides to it. So there is the opportunity for employees to, to kind of really, show that work from home is an option. Um, and then there's also the, the side of employers to see that work from home is an option as well. But to make it work effectively, <clears throat> I think you need kind of trust and, and responsibility on both sides. Uh, and there certainly is there certainly is a little bit more of a holiday atmosphere out there with some, some people. Um, and I think it'll really kind of highlight that to employers, you know, in terms yeah. of who's taking the piss or not. Exactly. No, I know. It's up to everyone. Everyone needs to take responsibility for this. It's a different mindset, right? It kind of depends on where you are, right? Like I nearly took a job a few years ago with uh, a a managed account platform company out of Canada. And when I was doing the interviews with those guys, um, the the main guy said to me, he's like, listen, Pete, you sure you want to stop working for a bank? And I think I've said this on on different podcasts before, uh, because when you're working for a bank, you can just go into the corner for a couple of weeks and hide if you don't like what's going on. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I said, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. And, you know, never mind going to work in a, you know, an asset management and alternative mm. investment management business and not being able to hide in the corner for two weeks. But when you're your own business, right there's no hiding, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, no one's going to do can't. it if you don't. <laughs> exactly. Either do it or don't. So it's this strong inert push that I have in me to keep this momentum going. Um, and I'm seeing this out across the startup community as well. Um, if you take a look at where the typical startup is right now, there is no typical startup. Right? Mm. Um, you know, if they were in the midst of, of uh, a funding round, this just really sucks for them. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you look at it from the VC perspective, that's an opportunity for them because the valuations are going to be pretty low. Mm. Now, it may not hit immediately, but if you were kind of wrangling and negotiating um, between, say, giving a VC uh, 15% of your business versus, say, 12% of your business, you know what? Odds are you're probably going to give them 15% right now, mm. right? Because if you are, you know, depending upon where you are in your value in your own cash flow cycle, where you are in terms of getting customer revenue in the door, um, you know, you're going to need that cash, but this isn't financial advice. Um, obviously, you know, I think valuations out there were heady to begin with. Um, even though we're a few years away from the buzzwords driving valuations, right. And buzzwords of FinTech and blockchain and kind of this area where I play, 
Um, but I still think, you know, if you take the, those lofty valuations and you take kind of this real life situation that we're in right now with this whole new normal, almost somewhere in the middle is kind of where we're going to end up. But I mean, what, what I've learned over the last year, probably two years though, is how personal VC can be and how hmm. risk appetite is driving these decisions, these normal investment decisions you would have made two weeks ago, you not making them yep. for a number of different reasons, right? One of the other things I'm thinking about is, and you know, robo advisors is a term that's just so overused and it's come and gone and come and gone, but it really does come down to that human decision and, and where are the opportunities, right? Yeah. There was a survey in 2018 done in London, I think it was the city of London, one of the, the financial in, industry bodies that did it, that said most high net worth individuals, they still want to talk to somebody. Um, likely in person when they're making their investments. So robo-advisors just, you know, online investment decision-making just doesn't work, mm. right? However, we've seen businesses like Scalable Capital, we've seen businesses like uh, Wealthfront and Betterment uh, in the U.S. do really well just on this basis. If you think about the context of that, where is the money really going to move the robo-advisor market? It's really going to move the high net worth individuals, mm-hmm. right? Those with 10, 15, 20, 30 million to invest or more that are investing through a financial advisor right now, a wealth manager, a family office. Um, how has their inability to get that comfort blanket from a face-to-face meeting with a financial advisor changed how they're thinking about investing, yeah. right? That is, uh, that is a, a reality of what we're going through right now. Um, yeah. Now, you know, my, my own financial advisor says, Pete, do not look at your account right now at all, please. <laughs> well, well, what is it? T- time in the market is more important. Yeah. Um, so but, stay stay in there, you know. But the um, the 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 point you make around uh, things changing, it, it's it's really true. And if if I think of kind of real life examples, even outside of you know pure fintech or pure financial services, um, think about my my parents. So they would have done a little bit of shopping online if they're buying I don't know bed clothes or something like that, where you don't need to try it on, you don't need to see it if it's food or whatever. So they've now gone pretty much online. Um, and they're using, I think it's O'Brien's for the wine, which was number one on the list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're using a, a butcher who I think is based down in Clonmel, uh, who's delivering up to Dublin. So they moved away from the large multiples because they couldn't get delivery slots in time. So I'm doing the kind of fruit and veg or, or you know, milk and all that kind of stuff for them. Um, but they'll stick with those people as well because they, they were able to kind of give them what they needed during a crisis. Then I was down shopping the other day I use contactless payment for, I think it was like 45 euros. So contactless payment is becoming more and more popular. And the move to online where people wouldn't have used online previously is becoming more and more popular. There has to be kind of a knock-on effect there for the kind of payments industry as well. Uh, the other the other kind of big change that we've had to think about is what do people, what do customers need from us right now? Uh, and I think if you're sitting there in a business and, and you're struggling and you're, uh, not sure where your next deal is coming from, um, you know, may, maybe that's something that you need to think about. What what are people actually willing to pay for? And I think there's a good chance that if they're willing to pay for it right now, it's more of a need than a want or a luxury uh, in a time where people are cutting back big time on everything that is is totally unnecessary. Um, so really, really important. And I think the opportunity is is there for companies to really analyze what they're doing um, with a very kind of lean lens, I suppose, uh, in terms of value add, value enabling, et cetera. We all know how that works. 
um, and pull out of it what is your your core business what what is it that people are really really willing to pay for um, yeah and take that forward that that's a difficult one because you know if you think about some of these transformational projects that might be mm. underway at the corporate level right um some of that is viewed as value add right mm -hmm. yeah extracurricular stuff engaging with innovative tech companies that may be able to help us get so much leaner yeah right that's just what what i hope is those things don't go but mm. you got to imagine that when the executives are making the decisions in the last couple of weeks they're saying all right listen business as usual that's it anything else gets parked we just need to keep the lights on yeah but but if you can't if you're if you're a a fintech who is offering a solution that's going to make your business leaner more cost effective if you can't really prove that and really demonstrate that in this environment you know nothing's going to happen for you uh, yeah and it, it's going to make you it's going to force you to really think about what are you doing what's my value proposition what's the business case for a uh, I don't know, a, a head of risk and compliance onboarding us as a reg tech firm who can uh, save X amount of money, do the job they're doing better uh, and more efficiently. You know, you really need to think about that business case now. You do. And it takes that, like we were saying, I was saying that, you know, that internal inertia, that internal momentum and um, just that, okay, we need to keep moving. We need to keep doing mm. things the right way. Whatever lessons we learned the last three or four years, from this new digital world and how it can improve not only our the, the way we work but the profits we deliver to shareholders you just need to keep finding ways to march in that direction and it's yeah, just yeah. not easy to do you know i was thinking about as well paul some of the the opportunities out there and this was a chat with with owen fitzgerald who unfortunately has not been on this podcast um or your you know <laughs> your podcast for, for the last 15 episodes or so but he, he will be coming back very soon what we're talking about is what is going to be the thing that people start to realize out of all of this that is yep. a, a opportunity, right? I was thinking about the use of Microsoft Teams. Working in the startup environment for the last few years, you know, Slack is just such a normal day-to-day uh, -day application that yeah, uh, yeah. kind of that email challenger, right? And say, let's kind of cut our email flow by 90%. Let's just communicate this way across the team. It works with remote. It's wonderful. I, when I started working uh, with these, with QPQ, uh, I'm an advisor to them a couple of years ago, um, they were using Teams and mm -hmm. I had been using Slack with all the startups I was working with and it was like such a, a step down. Now seeing where it is in the last couple of weeks because so many more folks are using it, I'm like, wow, Microsoft has really come a long way with Teams very quickly and who else would besides Microsoft, right? You know, they're, they're massive. They're a giant. If they're going to be able to improve something quickly, it's going to be them. And they're doing a really good job with that. Um, now, corporates are looking at Teams versus Slack and saying, well, Teams is a Microsoft product. It's already well integrated with everything else I'm using. Let's just start using that. Um, and you get these pop-up phone calls, video calls that are really easy to manage. Meetings you can just kick off from right in the middle of it. Slack is harder to integrate. Slack you're looking at from the perspective of, well, most of the startup community were already using it. And now that Slack is a public company, um, they are looking at, well, what's going to move the needle in terms of revenues? Mm. Um, smaller bit-by-bit -bit revenues from startups aren't going to move the needle for them. So I think they got to think about where they're going. But, you know, 
what are the types of things that you could build on top of the team's environment? I don't even know if Microsoft is going in this direction. If you think about uh, the way Salesforce were building some of this years ago, so many people using Salesforce as their CRM. Yeah. Um, and Salesforce said, let's open up the architecture to let people build on top of it. What might you be able to do on top of Teams? You know, and I was thinking about just the, the nature of, of having all these people working remotely right now, logging in through all these different Wi-Fi networks, mobile networks, the, you know, the CTO, the head of IT, the head of network for these corporates must be going nuts, mm. pulling their hair out and saying, yeah, yeah. how can I actually control this and keep yeah. my cybersecurity engaged? Yeah. Is there some type of plug-in to Teams that you can use that actually tracks and monitors these things in real time? to say, all right, where are folks? Where is the team? Um, and what is that dashboard of where people are connecting from and where are the hotspots, potential mm. um, you know, red zones that we need to look out for in terms of people's connectivity and the security of those connection points? Yeah. That's a big opportunity. Mm. It'd be a tough job to be ahead of cybersecurity, I think, at the minute. Oh, I don't know. And all these boards of investment funds that over the last few years have been looking for information, what is your cybersecurity policy, how are you doing this, so on and so forth, that's all out the window, mm. right? So those are rewritten as well. There's, there's a good entry point for a cybersecurity consultant to come into all these boards to rewrite all their cybersecurity policies, which would be fantastic, right? Um, I actually had a look to see what might I be able to do to commercialize some of this, and I had a look at to see what URLs might be available, and I, my, the first thing that came to mind was Wofro, right? Work from home. Um, but wofro.com is taken. So um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a few ridiculous ones out there that were similar to that, that were on sale for like 2000 euro. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to go there. But um, no, you, you got to think about these kinds of things, um, you know, commercially and opportunistically mm. while balancing that with a real world situation we're in right now of the world being on fire. Literally, right? Yeah. And um, you know, what have we seen recently, uh, uh, coming together by staying apart has been, you know, kind of a hashtag that's been trending. And it, I suppose something I've seen in the recruitment industry since I started in 2007, where you had to meet everyone, you had to be on the phone all the time. It's it's all changed in the past few years and it's all around emails, LinkedIn messages, it's all of that type of thing. But we've seen a big shift back in the past couple of weeks in particular. And I think it all kind of stems from people want to be connected uh, and people yeah. are missing that kind of connection. Um, but there, there's the opportunity there, just putting pure business aside for a minute to be able to kind of give something back. Uh, so I came across a guy, uh, someone to share something on LinkedIn called Shane Hastings. He's, I think, going into his final year in Galway in, uh, in, in a, tech, um, a tech bachelor's. So he set up a website called covid19.shanehastings.eu. And uh, he is uh, compiling a whole lot of stats on the coronavirus. But... Uh, if you uh, if you go onto the website, he also has a page that's listing all of the free stuff that people are doing and giving away, and has everything from LinkedIn Learning, I think, is now free. To he um, he put up the offering we have for Possible.e for the ninety minutes. Uh, oh, cool! Uh, coaching thing, but there's so much there, you know, and there, there's so much kind of opportunity to give back, uh, especially when so many people are doing kind of so much, and obviously frontline staff and even down to people in retail and everything else are putting themselves. Um, putting their own health at risk to be able to do stuff for other people and keep everything going. There, there is the opportunity there to actually do something and give back. And I think one of the things that has been a trend probably 
you know, ticking up slowly over the years has been uh, people looking at um, uh, potential employers and looking at, at what their kind of corporate social responsibility is. And I, yeah. I do think there is an opportunity there for people to really show that it's not just you know, a couple of pages on the website anymore. It's a genuine thing that companies want to help, companies want to do stuff. So I, I think it's it's nearly incumbent on, on everyone to think about what can you do, uh, what can you do to help. That's a really good connected. point. That's mm. a really good point. Um, I, I was talking to someone yesterday who was considering a career change and someone who I will introduce to you, Paul. I was advising him, um, or not advising, but having a chat and saying, listen, at your level, being, you know, pretty experienced in the industry and pretty senior, that if you're thinking about the next, kind of company that you want to go work for, think about it from the perspective of the CEO, right? Because as senior as this guy is, um, you want to make sure that this, the CEO of this business is someone that you were inspired by, someone yep. that you were, can be motivated by, and that someone that you're not going to get annoyed with if they're taking action that seems to go against your own value system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is when you're, you know, uh, someone that's pretty experienced and looking for your next job, that's a good you know, rationale to, to, to take or a good position to take. Um, if you are, you know, one amongst thousands, right. You got to think about what is your value system and mentioning, like you just said, corporate social responsibility, how is this company contributing, um, to its overall global stakeholders, not just to shareholders. Right. Mm -hmm. And say, is that in align in alignment with my own value system? Is that something that is important to me? What about ESG? Right. Yep. What are they doing? Are they planting trees? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, all these things can be make it a little bit, you know, uh, more enjoyable to go to work every day. Mm. Right. Um, so, yeah. And I, and I think coming out of this, you're going to see a lot more of those examples of companies that are doing the right thing um, for society. Right. By taking mm. steps. That, that's that's a really interesting point. Um, in terms of challenges, like we, we've kind of touched on, on them a little bit, but uh, there are absolutely businesses out there within what we do uh, and outside of that, you know, you think of restaurants and, and pubs and stuff in Ireland's uh, gone overnight um, and, and hopefully, you know, the vast majority or, or all of them will, will recover. Um, but one thing I'm, I'm seeing more on the coaching side, I suppose, is um, things like overwhelm and um, when we all have so much going on anyway. Uh, this is just another thing to lump on top. So it's managers getting used to managing remote teams where they've never done it before. It's uh, leaders leading through a real global crisis that we, we've never seen the likes of before. Like I, I worked in recruitment in the last recession and it was it was horrible, but this is just totally unforeseen and, and uh, totally un- unprecedented. Um, so th- there's all of those kind of new challenges that are coming up. And, and I think, well, I hope that people will take the time once we get back to normal whatever normal is going to be and um, yeah. to, to I suppose appreciate how quickly we've been able to move uh, and really take stuff from that like people do uh, people talk about resilience training and getting people into to train for resilience but I, I think almost everyone has shown a huge amount of resilience in, in the way we've been able to adapt so quickly to this challenge and um, but that that challenge of I had demand yesterday and then all of a sudden I don't have demand today um, it, it's got to be one of the biggest things that, that businesses are seeing at the minute. Absolutely. And just on that coaching point, Paul, I know with your business, Possible.ie, um, and you, you put out that call on LinkedIn and said, listen, yeah. we're here to help, right? And um, what are you seeing coming back from you know, some of the you know, heads of businesses or executives that you're talking to in terms of um, you know, 
how they're feeling about things, whether it be professional or personal. Any insights from that to share? Um, I, well, I think everyone is, everyone's in the same boat in terms of it, it is a massive challenge at the minute. Uh, and people are, are, everyone is unique. So people are taking all, the, all these challenges in different ways. Um, one of the main things that we're seeing is, is how do I manage remote teams when I haven't done it before? And a lot of that seems to come down to control. Um, where people are very used to being in an environment where you're physically connected to someone in terms of they're in the same office and now they're just not. It's a little bit more tricky or it, it almost seems a little bit more tricky to be able to make sure that stuff is happening as it's supposed to. So management styles are having to change. Uh, it's not as easy to walk over and say, you know, Pete, where are we on the, I don't know, the pitch for XYZ company. Yeah. Um, so that that's a big challenge and it's a big kind of mindset shift. So a lot of what I do around that, I suppose, is, is helping people to see, uh, you know, you used to work like this. What can you do now with the tools that you have available to be able to, to react and change? Um, a lot of the other stuff we're seeing is around leadership. Uh, and people being feeling let down by leaders in, in companies uh, where they felt that maybe you know people could have moved a little bit quicker in terms of implementing work from home or remote working um, policies. Uh, people are, are feeling a little bit lost with that. People are, are employees in particular are missing that kind of connection uh, and are struggling with the fact that there isn't someone coming down to their desk to say, you know, where are we on XYZ pitch? Um, so a lot of it is around kind of connection and a sense of loss of, of control is a big thing. Um, and they're really the kind of fundamentals that are, are driving the issues around remote working and getting used to, to all of this type of stuff. And I think additionally, from a leadership perspective, there, there's there's a whole range of different types of leadership, clearly. But uh, you're really seeing now that people are under a massive amount of pressure. And, and it's how do you cope as a leader with that pressure coming down? Do you uh, take it and channel it and, and run with it and take what you can from us? Uh, or do you, do you pass it on uh, in a negative way to your teams potentially? And that that's another big, big issue that, yeah. that we're seeing. That's uh, a good point. That's a good point. And um, Laura Wadding, who from Deloitte, who I worked with years ago, mm. uh, who's, a, who's, who's a good friend, she posted something on LinkedIn the other day that said something to the effect of, you know, think about those things that are within your control. Yeah, yeah. Right? And those things that are outside of your control, don't worry about that. She kind of posted it as being a you know, uh, helpful hint, word of advice for folks mm. that are worried and really caught up on things. Everybody's got a different worry scale, right? Mm -hmm. And when I first saw that, I'm like, I'm not worrying about those kinds of things yet. Mm. Um, but you've got to realize everyone's different and everybody's yeah, yeah. stress levels are different. And so just because you think that you're okay and you're managing this fine, doesn't mean your team are, yeah. right? Um, and you got to think about things that way. I, a lot of the folks that I've been speaking with over the last couple of weeks have been startup clients, right? And founders. Mm. Um, and there, there's such a wide disparity of things going on right now. And it really, as we talked about before, depends on some of your funding situation. You know, if you've just, if, say a startup has just hit the black a few months ago, um, and they, but they only have 30 days cash runway, um, Jesus, you got to adjust pretty quickly. Yep. You know, what is your sales model? What's your marketing spend like? Can any of that be reduced? And you got to look right away at your financials. And how, if you have a good set of financials, if you're using zero, hopefully in Expensify and those types of things, just that insight to be able to say, what am I going to do over the next three to six months so that I can keep this thing alive, right? What are the hard decisions you're going to have to make? And startups are making those hard decisions every day anyway, right? Mm. Um, if you are an early stage startup, it's about survival. It's about getting from your seed to your series A. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and if you can just get that far, you know, you're, you should be in good shape. You're turning on revenue, you know, well at that stage, if you are, you know, at the stage of, Hey, I'm just burning VC cash. I'm perhaps worse off burning friends and family cash. How am I actually going to, how am I actually going to survive? Those are some of the questions that people are asking. How do we do this? You know, keeping that momentum going. One of the, th- the, the thing, the, the funny things, not funny things, but the ironic things about startups is that people talk about customer empathy. Um, and this isn't just at the startup level. This is at any commercial level where, you know, you want to put yourself into the customer's shoes, but these days you're not going to do it without sanitizing their shoes first, mm. right? Um, and then, you know, feel their pain, but not without some gloves on. Mm. But it, how do you inspire that buying decision to take place when you're fighting against this, the world is over, do nothing uh, mentality? Um, and adjusting that approach and getting, you know, what is that extra effort that you need to sell? You know, I was looking at a, a business the other day, just yesterday, uh, that was advertising themselves as software as a service. True SaaS to me means that you go on to their website, you click on log in, or you, sorry, you click on uh, sign up, um, and you can pick that, okay, $99 a month for this software as a service. Now I'm actually going to go with that. Fully online, non-human intervention sales process. Can you get to that? right? Does your product even warrant that? Mm. Or are you enterprise sales or you need that extra effort to sell? You need that internal champion to like you just enough to put their neck on the line for you. That's hard. I've spoken with companies as well that were enterprise sales that had the opportunity to shift into, well, I'm going to sell only to developers online as a SaaS model. They did it in two weeks, right? And they turned Mm. that quickly because they saw this coming and they knew they had a lot of momentum with their product, with their product development cycle. And their product should be out there and people should be buying it. But because they can't reach people through enterprise sales, what's the other way to do it? Hmm. Right? So it's asking some of those harder questions to say, how do we shift still to keep support of our vision and our strategy uh, to move ahead? Um, I, I don't envy any founder being in that position right now. Hmm. It, it, it's tricky times. And, you know, when you're talking about the, the SaaS model being kind of fully automated and you, you click to purchase and all of that kind of stuff, the one thing that's kind of jumping out at me that I've really seen I, I goes back to what we spoke about a little bit earlier around um, having that connection. And it's almost like people want that connection now where they can talk to someone that little bit more sometimes. I just wonder, will that have kind of an impact on on how things are done going forward? Like I think about when I was in, in my my brief spell in, in a large corpus uh, and it was almost like the, the human was being taken out of human resources with stuff being offshored and outsourced yeah. others and you know ticketing systems and all that and anyone who's worked in a large corporate knows about a, a global HR function where you raise a ticket and you might get a response from someone at some stage and I was always kind of keen to keep it human resources yep you know, uh, uh, and I just think we're really kind of seeing that now where the things that people really value are are, are kind of contact and connection and, you know, they're, they're really kind of basics. Um, so I wonder, will that have kind of an impact going forward? I think it will. I mean, you know, uh, Lisa White um, mm. from, you know, the, who's been on Money Never Sleeps before and Paul, who I know, you know, you know, she talks about bringing your whole self to work yep. and this you know, mentality of just be yourself and don't have your professional self and your personal self because, you know, your boss won't like your personal self or your boss will see your personal self as unprofessional or your customers (laughs) or your colleagues, right? And it's, you know, will all of this kind of influence a greater adoption of just 
be yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, don't go to work in your pajamas, but you know, at the same time, <laughs> well, if you're working from home, it doesn't really matter as long as you yeah, look yeah. presentable on a video screen. Right. Mm. But what is it that each person needs? You know, my sister's godfather, Jack, God rest his soul. You know, he started working from home in 1983 mm. and he got up every morning and he put on a suit and a tie, not because he was going anywhere, but it just made him feel more professional. Mm. Right. So, you know, do what you got to do. But yeah, finding ways to be yourself. Yeah. And you know what's funny about that, actually, you just reminded me, I, I think one of the episodes uh, on Money Never Sleeps, you asked me around, uh, you know, what, what have you learned or what, what were your biggest learnings um, since we started Top Tier? I think it was around Top Tier. And I think what I'd said was something around um, that it's okay to be yourself yep. uh, and, you know, be, be authentic because, geez, it's much easier rather than, you know, trying to keep two different lives going at the same time and <laughs> keeping up with everything you've said. It's much easier to just be straightforward and be yourself. It is. It is. And I think we're, we're on an arc in society mm. where that's coming and that's happening. Um, yeah, I think so. It started, I think people have woken up to it and this, you know, this corporate chest beating uniform wearing testosterone fueled, mm. dare I say, still exists in the White House. Um, but, you know, I think overall we're seeing the world trending towards not that it's being a softer, gentler, it's just being more human, right? With, yeah. with the decisions you make and how you carry yourself in business. Yeah. Um, you know, I find it's more inspiring, it's more insightful as well. I agree. So um, with, with what you do, what, what are you seeing uh, outside? Are you uh, are clients still trying to raise money? Is that even possible at the minute? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier. Are transformational projects going ahead? Those kind of value-added things or sometimes seen as value-added things? What sectors are vulnerable? You know, what, what, What's going to come out of this even better than it was before? Yeah, I, I've been keeping a close eye on all this, obviously, um, just because I'm getting the questions, hey, are, am I still going to get funded? Right? Is this still going to happen? Um, I think one of the biggest signs coming out of, out of the U.S. just today uh, was their lender, uh, sorry, the online lender Cabbage. Um, and I met Catherine Petralia, who's their CEO uh, at MoneyConf in Dublin in 2018 on the same day that I met Greg Chu from QBQ. Um, who's been on Money Never Sleeps and uh, whose business that I advise. Mm. Um, both completely inspirational people, Catherine and Greg in their own right, but on completely different ends of the spectrum in how they do that. Anyway, they've stopped lending to small businesses, Cabbage have. Um, and they've been one of my favorite success stories in FinTech because of all the data they're gathering on small business. And this isn't you know startup level lending. This is mom and pop shops, mm. right? This is those businesses in communities that keep people employed uh, that keep livelihoods going. They've had to pull the plug. And what they're basically saying, well, SoftBank uh, are investing in them and SoftBank are also pulling the plug on WeWork. Mm. I'm not sure if SoftBank can pull the plug on Cabbage or not. Um, but fintech lending to small businesses in the US last year amounted to $10 billion, which is a drop in the ocean in terms of the global economy. But also just to compare it to the US rescue package that have signed off recently, they're pushing 350 billion towards small businesses in the US. And that compared to the 10 billion that Cabbage have just managed to, well, not Cabbage, but the entire fintech led funding market in the US have managed. It's just such a big difference. But Catherine Petralia, and this is from the, from, uh, the FT, she said, uh, it's the government's turn, right? Let them step in to do this. And this is just keeping this small business um, ecosystem going in the US. On the VC side, overall, some of the questions that people are asking is who's the money behind the money? Right? Mm. Uh, there's a great podcast called Origins 
uh, from the guys at Notation Capital in New York. Um, and that's their kind of tagline. We talk about the money behind the money. And it's that question of who are the investors behind the VCs? Mm. And startups don't think about that too often, but you do need to research that and find that out if you are a founder seeking VC funding. Um, I put something out on Twitter yesterday that a lot of people, I've been saying a lot recently and people, that it had been impactful. So um, I just put it out there that imagine the craziest biz dev person that you know. They know their targets breakfast, right? What did their target customer have for breakfast? That's the exact amount of over-preparation that you need to do as a founder seeking VC funding. Mm. Don't go stalk them outside coffee shops like my friend Jeff Pullen used to do when he was in sales and alternative investment funds way back when. Shout out to Jeff. Um, but you know what? Do your deep dive research. You need to do that. Where are these VCs getting their own funding from? Brian Caulfield, uh, who is in the VC business here in Dublin, um, he did a blog post on this in the last couple of weeks on why are VCs pulling term sheets? Look at the institutional investors, right? They have investment restrictions. They need to maintain certain allocation percentages to different mm. sectors. Take, for example, and again, this isn't an investment advice, 30% equity, 30% fixed income, 10% liquid cash, and 10% alternatives in a big $100 billion pension fund, right? Mm -hmm. um, in that alternative investment pocket at 10%, you've got things like private equity and venture capital. Even though the valuations on those aren't as frequently reported, you know, some of those are under pressure right now, obviously, but the equity components dropped, you know, the fixed income component has dropped. They can't allocate much more to private equity and venture capital right now because mm. they got those allocations have gone up to 15, 20%, right? So they've got to readjust their equity and fixed income portfolios to get there. So VCs investment, the investors in VCs investment restriction wise may have their hands tied on what they can contribute here. Um, even if they don't have these allocation percentages maintained and are even more opportunistic, they may just be hoarding cash to so take a family office right? They're all going to have different risk appetites. They may think, Jesus, I got to go liquid right now, right? Let's not make any more contributions. But I've, as a family office, I've already made a commitment to a venture fund and I am legally obliged to hand over a million next quarter. If I don't, as a family office, hand over that 1 million, what's the VC going to do? Sue me? You got to think about those kinds of questions. They may, but generally they want to maintain that investor relationship for the long run, hmm. which is going to outlive this short-term, hopefully short-term, fingers crossed, situation that we're in. Um, but, you know, uh, so the VCs may have their hands tied. Others, Sequoia Capital, and this is from Bloomberg about two weeks ago, game on for them. They're raising $7 billion in venture funds to invest in China, India, and the U.S. And um, I kind of joked with somebody that, you know, the, the, uh, China is obviously going to be the first one that comes out of this crisis. Um, and so valuations are going to look pretty good. Uh, good for Sequoia to, to get in there and to fund these. But it's not just... It, China, it's also India and the U.S. that should mm. be investing that $7 billion in. But I think something like, you know, at least $1.5 billion of that was for Southeast Asia, right? And you start thinking about this in the context of either within coronavirus or without coronavirus, there's still huge opportunities there to make investments. So mm. I think the bigger players will keep doing that. Um, one of the interesting things was just a deal renegotiation that took place. Prepaid financial services did a deal yeah. earlier uh, this year with EML payments or late last year, prepaid financial services for those that don't know are kind of the tech behind a whole bunch of app only payment services with debit cards. Um, so a lot of uh, the challenger banks use them for their beta product before they can partner up with other providers because they've got a nice kind of app only bank in a box, not really bank in a box, but the, you know, the card framework in a box. Um, not nearly half the price 
off of the acquisition yeah. through negotiation because of renegotiation because of what's going on with coronavirus. I can't, you know, it's, it's hard to see these types of things happening. Um, but, you know, it, it is real life. Specifically with my network, you know, just three examples of talking to VCs in recent days. Um, some have ramped down, um, but on those three chats, uh, number one, um, although this guy thought he might have coronavirus uh, and he's got a bad cough, he's still got the deal flow tap on. He's being pitched to over Zoom. He's taking deals forward that he likes, bring it into investment committee if, you know, they get to that point or doing his whole big deal memo. Um, you know, they recently closed their funds, so they got to get deploying capital. Mm. And there's going to be businesses that will be pretty much BAU regardless of what's going on around the world. Now, obviously, the health of their employees and ability to deliver code uh, is one thing. Um, BC number two, newborn baby in the house, right? He just started raising fund two, so he's taking advantage of the downtime right? And saying, listen, I can ride this out for the next month. Um, I got a six week old in the house. So let's just chill out. Right. Um, number th- now, are there deals that perhaps that VC may have done? Yeah, maybe, but you know what? They're reprioritizing. Number three, uh, a VC I just talked to yesterday, they have an alternative model that's focused more on the inbound help that they can deliver to startups themselves, rather than the outbound help that they can deliver based mm. upon con- connectivity with their network. Um, so that's their value add is, is kind of what they call transformation. Uh, they're launching their first fund. They're fully game on, you know, whatever momentum they had before this all started, they need to keep it alive. So that, that's kind of the view on VC. I, I think in a nutshell, it is, it, it's going to be different from one to the next. Um, and you got to talk to your, you know, if, if you had been doing what we call a, a soft circle and you had a few investors that were kind of saying, listen, yeah, I'll put in 250, I'll put in 500, whatever. You got to go back to them and see what their situation is. Do not count your chickens before they hatch. Absolutely mm. not. Until that money is in the bank, um, you should be thinking about contingency plans right now is my strong advice. Mm. Right? Um, and that is professional advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the transformational projects, Paul, that you asked about, you know, looking at the corporate level, um, I see people being pulled into BAU that normally are the scouts out on the front line of where the business goes next. You know, so th- this big corporate bank that I, uh, you know, on the other side though, um, what I'm seeing is that, you know, just through a conversation yesterday, big agenda for transformation that these guys have at the corporate level. Um, they, their natural process is to go out and find inspiration and new ideas um, with, you know, and perhaps real suppliers as well, just through FinTech and DeepTech. Um, and they're still out there and they're doing this over Zoom and Teams instead of meeting people are calling them to their office in London, right? Um, and that can lead to some deals for, you know, for, for the startups, which is good. And they're going to keep doing that. Uh, but a midsize asset manager I know well, I think the questions they're asking is how the heck are we going to do anything to improve rather, you know, above and beyond just keeping business as usual going, right? Um, and where on the best of days that, you know, they got people that maybe, um, you know, put giving it their all 10, 12 hours a day, how are you actually going to get more out of people right now, right? When they're all scattered and working from home. So some bigger, well-budgeted transformational projects, I think will continue. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing some trends there that are pointing towards that. But I think overall, a lot of people are saying, listen, let's just focus on business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'd have some concerns, you know, those in financial services with fees driven by the value of client assets, right? Um, and we yep. could probably do a whole episode uh, on fund admin, yep. right? 
and you know looking at how they're managing are they bank owned are they independent and just hypothesize on who's vulnerable and who's safe yeah you yeah. know um but we we got to make sure we we don't conflict anybody's uh client interest as well right <laughs> <laughs> of course um <clears throat> who do you think is going to come out of this well i think those that can sell 100 percent virtually yeah you know or with no human interaction whatsoever um, Zoom, obviously, you know, you and I are looking at each other right now over Zoom, mm. you know, and recording this on Zoom. You're in my um, bedroom, Pete. Yes, First thank time. you. <laughs> I, I feel honored and, and a, a little bit wary at the same you time. You should, you yes. should. <laughs> um, you know, Trello, you know, not too many people talk about that publicly, but mm. it's a great collaborative work tool Trello's for cool, management, yeah. for product development. HubSpot, MailChimp. I just used SurveyMonkey for the first time the other day. Instead of going and having that meeting with somebody as a follow-up closeout, say, how did that really go for you? Mm. Well, just send out a survey to everyone involved in the project. It's a little bit scary because you're going to get some honest feedback. Mm. But you know what? It, it, you know, it, it can make a big difference. I think, you know, so if you can not necessarily shift your business, but move it to a situation where um, you know that you can keep your new business channels moving, fully virtually, um, you're going to be in good shape. We talked about Slack before. Um, you know, I initially thought going into this, they would have done really well, but looking at the real life implications of those that are already integrated with Microsoft and how well the teams have uh, teams has been developed over the last couple of years. i see that as being quite interesting. Uh, the couple of other folks out there that, um, are doing things, a hundred percent virtually as it is anyway. I think looking at financial market overall, it's, you know, uh, how are the, how are people with money still to invest mm. thinking about how they want to invest and what are the ways for them to do that? And I think that is going to be a trend that is going to change the investment world for the long term, coming out of what people are doing right now. Um, you know, there, there, there's just easier ways to move money around. There's easier ways to get insight to your investments. There's easier ways, you know, to set up your nest egg, whatever it's going to be, um, for rainy days like this. And people are going to be thinking a lot differently about their relationship with money coming out of all this, I think. What do you, what do you think? What are you seeing on the hiring front? There's kind of three different scenarios at the minute. Uh, the most common, unfortunately, is, is that hiring is just frozen, uh, literally stopped, um, the closest thing to this is, is 2009. Like 2009 was just a horrendous year in financial services. Um, but an awful lot of places, if I think about the advisory firms in particular, uh, anything on the kind of fund management, well, not every, anything, but a lot of those uh, already established and maybe domestically focused fund managers, wealth managers, asset managers, all frozen, uh, with the exception of some, certainly on the fund services, fund admin side, frozen again. <clears throat> not a huge amount happening at all in that space. The, the second scenario that we're seeing is um, companies that are happy to interview and to make hiring decisions remotely, but they're delaying start dates. Um, so had a had a, an offer made and accepted just the other day and start date on the contract is TBC. Um, so that okay. person needs to go and train in, in the UK and come back to Dublin, but still going ahead. Some fintechs are taking a similar approach, but an awful lot of the fintech stuff, um, certainly in the, the domestic fintech market, uh, has has dried up as well. And the other scenario, I suppose, which is least common but is absolutely happening, is uh, some companies are happy to interview and onboard remotely, 
Yeah. So we've had a couple of offers recently where they've never been to the client's office. Uh, they've done all of their uh, interviews over Slack or uh, Polycom or Teams or whatever it is. They're getting onboarded and day one now is about onboarding and getting set up from a tech perspective. So uh, all of those um, lovely issues that everyone who's uh, joined a large corporate before in terms of getting access to folders and emails and all that kind of stuff provisioned and set up, it's still going to happen, but it's, it's all going to be virtual. Um, yeah, first day of work in your pajamas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's it's good to see that there are some companies out there who are uh, who are still going ahead, and a lot of that within financial services seems to be around. Um, I suppose there, there's two types of company. One is the the uh, Brexit firm that's setting up here that will still need to set up here that will still still need talent uh, and will be uh, required to by CBI to, to get you know boots in the ground and have substance here and get all of their DP roles and their PCF roles etc established. Uh, and then the others are, are those that would have uh, looked at Ireland as as an opportunity to set up you know an additional talent hub. And um, so our uh, still have room in offices to grow, etc. They are going to grow over the next while, and you know the reality is that sometimes uh, there's an opportunity there to take people who uh, may have been made redundant or uh, may be looking for other reasons because of, of what's happening at the minute. Um, and the other area that we've seen a bit of a spike in is is tech. Uh, so things like cybersecurity, uh, things like um, uh, you know people who work on getting people set up remotely, all of that kind of stuff is is in demand at the minute. On the other side, <clears throat> people looking for jobs again. It's the same kind of scenario, and we are seeing a little bit of pushback from people who just don't want to move at the minute because. Uh, if they walk away, they're concerned about, you know, not having the same benefits, the same opportunities. You know, if a redundancy does have to happen, they want to have the same tenure set up. Uh, they're walking away from pensions, all of that kind of stuff. Um, no one's walking away from sick pay at the minute um, mm. for kind of obvious reasons. The other side of that is people have a little bit more time. If you are at home, you're not in the office. You don't have to scramble into a meeting room to take a phone call from a recruiter or from someone else. You can do your VCs, uh, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. So there is kind of opportunity there as well. And I kind of alluded to it earlier on, but there is a certain cohort of people who, uh, as I said, kind of aren't overly happy with how things have been dealt with, um, specifically around coronavirus. Uh, and there, there's those who uh, are, are really kind of seeing, I suppose, what leadership are made of um, in certain mm. organizations and are just not happy with it uh, and are starting to look. They may, may not be the ones that move straight away, but they're absolutely the ones who are going to be sitting there when all this is over in six or 12 months time thinking, Jesus, is this the right place for me? Um, so there, there is kind of a lot of those conversations happening. Um, yeah. Like you say, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly and it's it's a real struggle for people um on the on the coaching side you mentioned that the thing we're doing with the 90 90 minute complimentary coaching session that's anyone in an sme anyone in hr anyone in the leadership position who could do with that little bit of support or that little bit of thinking time uh to help you know we're delighted to be able to do that so possible.e forward slash covid um please log on, fill out the form. You know, we're, we're more, than, more than happy to help. Um, but outside of that, again, kind of talked about it before, um, where we're seeing a real interest and real demand in, in terms of coaching is uh, for companies who are looking for additional support for managers or for leaders who've had to adjust to this new reality very, very quickly. Um, and some are, are looking for support for those kind of high potential employees as well in particular. Um, who they want to be able to retain, who they want to really show that during this time of, of, of 
just unprecedented change that they are there to support them and, and you know, they want them there for the long term. Yeah, but, I hear that. I, I merely, you know, um, I am expecting a call from somebody that says, Pete, can you just come in for six months after this all subsides or right now mm. just to help us get through this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that call comes. You'll be the first one to know. I <laughs> look forward to it and I hope it does but like I, I think um, the, w- one of the things that, that we, we did talk about and, and I've mentioned the, the thing that we're doing but there's um, there's another um, I suppose coaching group that I'm, I'm associated with uh, the, the lady who would have trained me Alva Harrington uh, and another one of uh, coaches that she would have worked with closely have set up a thing called Connect a Coach which is there for any frontline workers who are looking for support a completely free service there's 22 coaches already registered and now there's another cohort going on their website uh, and I think what a lot of that is is kind of driven from is um, people want to help you know people really want to help when there, there's so much kind of out there going on as we said already with uh, frontline staff in hospitals and nursing homes emergency services food retailers public transport staff all of those guys doing their very best to look after everyone and keep things going like I don't want to look back in six to twelve months time and think Jesus I could have done something you know myself and Laura have the training we have the coaching skill and all of that kind of stuff to be able to support people so you know why not do is t- take advantage of the opportunity that we have a little bit more time when it is a little bit quieter that we can give that time to people who are having to put in more time than ever and, and you know put themselves at more risk than than ever um, and you know I think around the the kind of connection side that we talked about like what really brought it home for me is uh, you know there, there's uh, grandparents who can't hug their kids uh, parents who can't hug yeah. their kids anymore um, you know, people who are immunocompromised for various different reasons, all having to make really big sacrifices and really adjust how they live. Um, so I, I don't know, I think for us to be able to give a little bit back, uh, even if it's only a few people who take up the offers, is just a really, really good thing to do. Um, yeah, just I wish you could just go around the neighborhood and, you know, the uh, the more mature folks in the neighborhood just yeah. knock on the door and say, hey, do you know how to use FaceTime? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, or, exactly you know, or, or whatever, just so that they can have that connection with uh, their grandkids. You yeah. know, my parents live in the U S you know, we got a family zoom scheduled for 5 PM yeah. uh, on Saturday. Uh, not that any hackers will come into that. Um, but, <laughs> you know, got to keep those things going. My parents, yeah, yeah. Out, you know, they're in their seventies. They've been outside the house um, for an hour a day. It's almost like you're in, you know, federal lockdown. Yeah. Right. Same. Um, and, and that, you know, my, my dad luckily went out before all this and he bought, uh, a rowing machine and a, uh, a spinning bike, right? So, you know, they, they get to keep things moving yeah, yeah. And to, to stay healthy, but you need that human interaction and it's not just, you know, it's everybody, yeah. right? Um, so no matter where you are. Um, any, uh, any final things? One, one thing I was thinking about when, before I came down to, to go on to Zoom was um, any book recommendations for times in a crisis? I know one that I, I read recently, uh, and it's strange these things seem to, to pop up for a reason for me recently is uh, I don't know if you've heard of a book called The Choice. No. It's not, not business related at all. Uh, Edith Iger. Um, so she was uh, uh, a Holocaust survivor. Uh, went through Auschwitz and all of that horrible stuff. Um, but uh, the, the book is all around, you know, how do you reframe what you're going through to, to survive or to get through it or to come out the other side uh, of a significant challenge like this. Really good book. Yeah, for like great this. book I just read. And I talk about Ben Horowitz. I talk about Ben Horowitz frequently enough, his new book, um, 
what you do is who you are, mm. right? Which is the culture of the leader. Um, and he uses historical examples of uh, slave revolts in, uh, in Dominica. He uses um, a, a few different ones as well to say, listen, here were the great leaders in, in time, Genghis Khan even, right? And how he actually built his um, whole followership, um, mm. even though he was a complete barbarian, right? It was just the approach that he took to adopt and embrace each, you know, basically society that he took over, mm. right? And how he brought it all together and integrated things. Um, probably a terrible example, but the book itself really just says, if you are in a leadership position, you got to walk the walk and talk the talk. If you do things, if you say something and then you, and then you go act against that, people just are going to lose faith in you. Mm. Um, so especially during the hard times, like right now, um, you know, you absolutely got to be mindful of that and, and watch your step, be yourself as long as you're, you know, and that, that's a big thing that we talked about. As long as you're kind of true to yourself as a leader, um, in any business and, you know, you open up and you, you have that personal approach to things. Um, the actions that you take will be fueled by, you know, um, coming from the right place. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, I, so it's called the uh, "What You Do Is Who You Are." It's Ben Horowitz. I just finished reading that a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it's uh, you know uh, it was inspiring and it was helpful. Great, peace. Good to talk to you as always. Definitely, really Stay enjoyed safe. this. You too, Paul. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks for joining us today on your pursuit of happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. For show notes and other goodies, go to www.toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. That's toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and feel free to rate and review the show. We appreciate your support. See you next time.